What a powerful, powerful story. Thank you, Angela, for sharing your story with us. Uh, it's so amazing to see God work in the lives of people and to see people move from just being a part of a church, uh, showing up on a Sunday morning, taking up space, drinking some nice warm coffee, to contributing and seeing their life change because of what God has done through them. That I, I truly believe that sometimes the greatest way that God grows us is when we allow him to work through us and when we start participating in the process If you're just joining us for the first time this morning or for the first time in a little while, we're in a series called Remember. In this Remember series, we're going through our church covenant. We're talking about what does it mean to be a member here at River Rock Bible Church. And if you remember the very first message, we focused on, first of all, what is a covenant? What does it mean to have a church covenant? And we said, you know, the church covenant is really just an agreement between us saying that, hey, I'm committed to you and you're committed to me. And together we're committed to accomplishing God's mission, which we we read our vision statement earlier. Our, Our mission, our vision is as simple as the Great Commission to make disciples of every man, woman, and child starting right where God has placed us, right here in Georgetown. That's our primary focus. And as we continue to multiply disciples, we want to multiply churches. We want to plant more churches in the greater Austin area. And as we reach the greater Austin area, we want to plant more churches and make more disciples throughout the entire world. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. But we have to start with making disciples, and it really starts with a commitment first to God and then a commitment to one another. So we talked about the covenant, and then last week we talked about being connected that we've got to be connected by showing up for worship on Sunday morning because this is a time where God does special things and he works in special ways in us and through us as we gather together as the body. And as we gather throughout the week, we looked at Acts chapter 2. In fact, we're going to be there again this morning. You guys are going to be sick and tired of Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. But we saw that every day they were meeting together, every day. They were meeting together, and they were worshiping together. They were celebrating together. They were eating together. They were sharing their lives together. They were very well connected, the early church was. And this morning, we're going to look a little bit more at Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, and we're going to see what did they actually do. Because Jesus tells his disciples, he doesn't say, go make converts. He says, go and make disciples. And so in Acts chapter 2, I think we get a pretty good glimpse, especially as you read the rest of the New Testament, all of these themes come up over and over and over again. And so we're going to look at, okay, so what is a disciple? Jesus tells the disciples to go make disciples. What did those first disciples that the disciples made do? And then what are the patterns that we see throughout the New Testament as far as what they did? All right, so let's look at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. So those who accepted his message, this is Peter, he's just preached the gospel, told him that Jesus Christ has died for your sins. He's the sinless son of God who died for your sins. And on the third day was risen again to prove that God had accepted his death on our behalf and that, that your sin is completely paid for. That in order to receive eternal life, all you have to do is put your trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. You don't work for it. You don't give enough money to the church. You don't attend enough church services. You simply trust in Jesus Christ. That's the message that he preached. And it says, And about 3,000 people were added to them that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that is the scripture, the teaching about the gospel, to the fellowship, that's meeting together, to the breaking of bread. That can either be meals or some people think that this is referring to remembering the Lord's Supper, communion together, and to prayers. 
Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property, distributed to the proceeds, distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex. They broke bread from house to house, and they ate their food with joy, joyful and a humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all people. And every day, the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Man, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that is so excited about meeting together every single day, that they're eating together in each other's houses, that they're devoted to the study of Scripture. What does it say? And, and then, not only do they study it and know what it says, they let it change them. They let it change them. And they start giving to one another. They start sacrificing for one another. They're praying for one another. They're being built up. And then, as they do this, they're going out and because... They are so excited about what God has done in them, they turn around and they start sharing about what God has done with other people. And other people say, this, this is crazy, but I want to be a part of it. Not only because I've heard what you said, but because I've seen the way you guys live, and the way you guys live matches up with, the way that you, with what you say. You're talking about life-changing reality, and I see a life that has been changed, and I want to be a part of that. And I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ. God is adding to their number daily. Man, to me, that is exciting. And that is, that is what we desire for every person in Georgetown, that they would have the chance to experience that because we have experienced that first. And it begins first and foremost with the life change of putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you can't get excited about that, man, I don't know what's going to get you excited. But getting excited about your own personal faith and then coming together and so in this passage, we see a couple things. We see, uh, really, that the early church understood. We have, we have an uphill battle to face as a church today. Can, can we acknowledge that? Because church has become something completely different from what we just read about. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you, you go to churches, and most people, they decide what church they're going to go to based on whether or not they like the pastor, or whether or not they like the style of worship, you know, well, they didn't play, you know, Oceans this week, so I guess I'll go to another church next week, or, you know, they don't have a climbing wall in their kids' ministry, so I guess my kids won't be happy there, so we better take them somewhere else, or they don't have this, they don't have that, and they're not meeting my needs, and I wasn't entertained enough, I didn't laugh enough, you know, the preacher, I don't know, he's got a beard, maybe he should shave his beard, uh, and then I'll come back, and, and we find all these reasons. We have a consumer mentality when it comes to church. What does your church have to offer me? And that's the way we approach it. It's like being on a cruise ship, right? We come to church, and we expect church to be like a cruise ship, where I, I pay my money, I get on board, and I take a seat, and I, I'm fed, and I'm entertained, and if I don't like it, or I don't like the captain, then, then the next time I go on a cruise, I, I find a different ship to go on. And it's all about me and all about what I want. As long as I'm comfortable and I'm relaxed, then it's great. But we see a completely different picture in the New Testament. We see that the church here is not a cruise ship. The church is a battleship. There's a big difference. A battleship has a mission from the commander-in-chief that they are to go out and accomplish this mission. And in order for this mission to be accomplished, every person on that ship has to fulfill their role. 
Whether you're the cook or you're the guy that cleans the toilets or you're the gunner or you're the captain, everyone has a role to fulfill and everyone has a responsibility and the mission cannot be accomplished if we don't fulfill those roles. It's a shift in our mindset when we think about the church. Are you looking for a cruise ship or are you looking for a battleship? Because when we look at the disciples, when we look at what God calls his followers to be, when I read the New Testament, I don't see anywhere where God says, you know, my, my biggest will for you is that you would just be comfortable. But God desires some things for us. God desires these things for us. Everything we're going to look at this morning are things that God wants for you and not from you. They are things that God wants for you and not from you, and you're going to be blessed as you do them. Let's, let's look real quickly. What does it look like? Um, to be a disciple, and, and I love this. Angela did a great job. She talks about leaving your handprint on something, leaving your handprint so that you can allow God to leave his handprint on you. And the, the more God's handprint is all over you, the more eager you are to leave your handprint on something else. One of the ladies in my wife's discipleship group put it this way. She put it a different way. Uh, she said discipleship is more than just leaving your butt print in the pew, Right? It means you got to do something. When we read the New Testament, we read what it means to be a disciple. It's all about action. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. There's a big thing. There's, like, you hear, hear the difference? Most of us, we just want to hear the word of God and know it and think that that makes us holy and righteous. But Jesus says, no, you got to put it into practice. If you don't put my word into practice, you're like the man who builds his house on the sand. And the storms come and the water rises, and the house crashes. Be like the wise man who digs down deep and builds his house on the rock. A firm foundation. Know it and do it. So what are the things that, that when we look at the New Testament, when we see what is God's will, when we look at our church covenant, what is it that a disciple does? We got four things here. Um, and this is in addition to being connected to a local church, because we saw last week that the New Testament assumes uh, that you're going to be connected. Like, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian in the New Testament. It was unheard of. And they, it was just a given that if you were a believer, you were connected to a local church. Uh, so in addition to that, what is it that a disciple does? Number one, a disciple participates in discipleship. They're either being discipled or discipling someone else. Well, where do we see that in this Acts passage? We see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that every day they were studying Scripture. They were trying to understand more and more about their faith. Why? So that they could go home and just sit there and read their Bibles and have Bible study. No, no, so that they could go and share with others what they were learning, so that they could begin putting it into practice, as we saw with Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's, it's sad to me, and I, I've been a part of a number of churches where discipleship just means coming together to gain more knowledge. And you end up with a bunch of people that know a lot about the Word of God, but they're never allowing it to work in their lives. And there's a, there's a story of a, a famous preacher who is approached by one of his congregation members, and he says, look, every year for the last five years, I've read, I've read the Bible cover to cover. I read it all year long. I've been through this Bible so many times. 
And the pastor says, maybe it's about time you let the word of God go through you. Start putting it into practice. That's what a disciple does. Our purpose is to make more disciples. And sometimes that means that we need to first be discipled, right? We need to gain more knowledge. We need to gain more skill. We need to gain more wisdom. Why? So that we can then turn around and pour it into someone else and go out and make disciples, which is the second thing that we see. We see evangelism very clearly. Every day, the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. Let me tell you, I I highly doubt that they were just having a good time, enjoying each other, and people were walking up saying, hey, that looks like fun. I see them having fun. And, And no one was actually proclaiming the gospel. No, they were out there. They were proclaiming the gospel day by day. When we read later in the book of Acts, what is it that they do? They go from town to town, village to village, place to place. They move around, and they go, and they preach the gospel. And they make sure that what they preach lines up with the way that they live. And together, those two things become a very powerful witness, and people begin to put their trust in Jesus Christ. We have four, four times recorded in Scripture that Jesus gives the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go and make disciples. Luke 24, preach to all nations. Acts 1, 8, you will be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What does Jesus say? He says, start where you are and move out from there. That's why we put a focus on on going into our community. We're going to start where we are and make disciples. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to live differently. And we're going to reduce the lostness of Georgetown, and we're going to expand out from there. And then in John 20, he tells them, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. I'm sending you with a message. You have a message. The only way to make disciples is that we first evangelize. We've got to be faithful. We've got to be faithful in how often and how regularly we communicate the gospel. And that doesn't always mean sitting down and saying, let me show you from Scripture. It can be as simple as sharing your story, like Angela has done, like Chris has done. Sharing your story about what God has done in you through, your, through his Son, Jesus Christ. The next thing we see is, is that the, the early disciples, the early church, they were serving one another. They were serving each other in the church, and they were serving in the community. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that each one of us ought to use whatever gift God has given us to faithfully serve others. And it says when we do this, we administer the grace of God. Think about that. Every single person who has put their trust in Jesus Christ has received a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. And we're told that we're to, to be good stewards of that. We're to use that gift to serve others. Because when we do, that God's grace is given to others. And last thing that we ask of our members that we see is that uh, the New Testament disciples, they gave. They gave. They supported the ministry that was taking place. Now, a lot of times we get this question, well, how much do I have to give to be a member? And let me say this. We don't put a percentage on it. Um, personally, my family, we, we at least try to tithe 10%, right? But when we look at the New Testament, what's the model that we see? We see, number one, in 1 Corinthians that we're told to give in keeping with your income, right? In keeping with your income. That means there's no set dollar amount, that it's, it's depending on what you're able to do, what you're able to give. Later we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, hey, each one of you ought to pray and set aside whatever God tells you to pray, uh, whatever he tells you to give. And so we just say this, look, it's not about a percentage, it's not about a dollar number, but we ask that you pray about what God wants you to give, and then you give it regularly, that you would have a system, that you would be, be regular in your giving. Just pray, God, what is it that you want me to give? And that you would continue 
to pray and ask God, and he will show you. And whatever that is, do it. Be obedient. No one's checking up on you. Like, we don't go back and we don't check and like, ah, you gave 9.5%, not 10. Give us your membership card. We don't have membership cards, by the way. Um, nobody's doing that. We just say, hey, what, what is God telling you? What is God telling you? Here's, here's the key. All of these things that we just talked about, and I wrote this down, all of these things, in order for us to be successful as disciples, as a church, they must be done cheerfully, humbly, willingly, consistently, according to a plan, and at times, sacrificially. And, and I thought about this as I was reading about giving in the New Testament, and I thought, yeah, these all apply to giving, but then I realized that, that they apply to every single area that we ought to be cheerful when it comes to sharing the gospel. And we ought to do it humbly and willingly. Uh, We ought to do it consistently, and we ought to have a plan. Let me ask you this. How many of you have a personal evangelism plan? That you have a plan for where you live, work, and play, where God has placed you strategically, that you are going to reach out and develop relationships with people who don't know Christ, enter into their life, and allow them the chance to hear the gospel from you. How many of you have that plan? How many of you do it willingly, humbly, consistently? How many of you at times do it sacrificially? Man, I'd really love to go hang out with my church family, but this guy at work needs me. How many of you, when you you give, give willfully, cheerfully, humbly, according to a plan? Do you have a plan? Hey, we're going to set aside this much this month. Next month, we're going to pray. And then a special need comes up. Uh, we've seen it happen in our community group and other community groups where, where someone says, i got a neighbor, and they have a need. What can we do to help? And people give sacrificially, above and beyond what they were planning to give to the church, and we start meeting needs of people in our community. Talk about opening a door for the gospel when you can go to them and say, we just want to bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and let me say this as well, that sometimes God may be saying, you know what? Uh, you're serving in a lot of places, and I want you to be laser-focused. You're spread too thin. I want you to take something off your plate. I want you to say no to something smaller so that you can say yes to the best thing. And there, how, many, how many times are you going to hear this from a preacher? God may be calling you to give less. You may be trying to pay off your student loans, and God says, you know what? I love that you're trying to give uh, this much over here, But you need to pray about that because if we could just knock this debt out, then later on you can give way above and beyond what you already have now. How many preachers are going to tell you to give less, right? First time you ever heard that in church. But it could be. Pray about it. You never know. You never know. Uh, These things, discipleship, evangelism, service, giving, these are all things that, that your pastors, as a lead pastor, these are things that I want for you and not from you. These are things that God wants for you and not from you. And we're going to look at the blessings that come from these in just a little bit. And and here's what I'd say to each one of you. We do these things because we're on a mission. We're a battleship. We have a mission from God. And here's my question. If every single person, if every single member of River Rock Bible Church were doing these things to the degree that you did, did them, If every other person at River Rock were being involved in discipleship to the amount that you're involved in discipleship, if they were involved in evangelism, sharing the gospel as often as you share the gospel, if they were serving as well as you serve and giving it to the extent that you give, would we accomplish our vision and our mission? 
It's just a question. It's something that I continually challenge myself as the lead pastor because I've got to set the pace. And if I'm holed up in my office all the time at my house and I'm not out there engaging people who are far from God, why in the world is anyone else ever going to do it? And so I challenge myself every single week. I try to look back and say, okay, if the people of River Rock lived this week the way I lived this week, would we be moving forward in our mission and vision? And I want to throw that challenge out there to you as well. And really, this is not just about our church. I would throw this challenge out to every believer everywhere. If, are you doing these things to a degree that if everyone else were to be on board and to join you in that mission, that we would accomplish our vision of reaching every man, woman, and child, that we would be able to make disciples of all nations. That's a pretty big challenge. That's a pretty big thing to live up to, but I can tell you it's worth it. Revelation 22 talks about how when Jesus comes, when the, when the groom, Jesus, comes for his bride, the church, that he will come to reward those who have been faithful. And we talked about the covenant. We talked about grace. Get this. Get this. By grace... God saves us. We don't earn it. It's by his grace that he saves us. And then by his grace, he continues to transform us and conform us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And as we obey, as we do things, he begins to work through us. As Angela said, he leaves a handprint on us, and then we pass that along and put our handprint on someone else. But it's not really our handprint. It's God's handprint through us. And then in his grace, he rewards us simply for letting him work through us. He rewards us for everything that he does. How awesome is that? To me, that's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And, and so what I love is that there's not only eternal rewards, but there's some rewards that God wants us to experience in the here and now. Quickly, let's look through some of these. What's the first reward that we get as we, uh, as we engage in this process, as we begin to fulfill our responsibility as followers of Christ in discipleship, evangelism, service, and giving The first thing is that it keeps the gospel at the center of your life. Everything around you, the world, your flesh, um, and the devil will do everything they can to move the gospel out of your view. How many of you have ever had the thoughts of, I can't do this because I'm, I'm not good enough? When the gospel says, you don't have to be good enough because it's Christ working through you, you have already been accepted. You have already been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the enemy wants nothing more than to move that from your view. Um, Jesus says this. He says in Luke 9, 23 and 24, um, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will save it. And Jesus is talking about discipleship. He's saying, here's what it means to be a disciple. And, and get this, as we disciple other people or as we ourselves are called into discipleship, we're called to deny ourselves. We have to die to ourselves, reminding ourselves to, to take up our cross. Why? Because we have one who's already taken up the cross for us. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus says, learn to obey. Sound familiar? Great commission. Make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to obey. Obey. And so as we engage in the discipleship process, the gospel is laid out in front of us. As we go out into the world around us and we lay the gospel out for other people, um, it's one of those things where we have to come and we have to fully admit, you know what, I'm not perfect, but I'm being perfected through Jesus Christ. And so I'm here as one who is 
is in just as much need for forgiveness and salvation as you are. And we remind ourselves of our own need for the gospel as we go out and we share the gospel with others. In our service, Matthew 20, 26 through 28, Jesus says the disciples are fighting over who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be number one, and he says it must not be that way among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And as we serve other people, we're continually reminded of why we serve, not because we have to earn our salvation, but because we have already been saved. We've already been served by one who gave his life for us. And our service then becomes a reminder of what God has already done for us. And lastly, we give generously. John 3.16, you guys all know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave. We serve a generous God. We serve a generous God. Romans 8.32 is going to be up here on the screen. And it says this, He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. And he will not, uh, and he, and will he not also with him grant us everything? Is God not going to take care of your needs? He didn't spare his own son. Is he not going to take care of our needs? Notice I said needs and not wants. He will take care of our needs. He will meet our needs. He's a very generous God. Because we serve and worship a generous God, we ought to also be generous and be reminded of the generous sacrifice that he made. Number two, the second blessing that we see is is that it deepens our faith and knowledge of Scripture. We see that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching to better understand their faith in order that they may be more effective in sharing it. And there is nothing, let me tell you this, the single greatest discipleship tool that we have. Who knows what it is? What's the greatest discipleship tool ever? Call it out. You can talk at church. What's that? Faith. What else? The Word. Reading the Word. What else? Evangelism. Evangelism is the single greatest discipleship tool. You want to learn how to pray? Start talking to unbelievers about Jesus, right? You're going to find really quickly that you need to pray and ask God for his help. You want to learn the Bible? Start talking to unbelievers about Jesus. And they're going to say, yeah, but what about the dinosaurs? And you're going to be like, uh, and guess where you're going to have to go look? In the Bible. You want to grow your faith and put yourself out there? Start sharing the gospel and God will grow your faith. I tell people all the time, one of the greatest things we can do to grow our faith is start sharing the gospel. It's okay to say, you know what? I don't have the answer to your question. Let's look it up together. Let me find someone who can help me look it up and see what the word of God says. You know what? Let me pray about that. I I don't know, but let me pray, right? And as you do these things, I can guarantee you that as you encounter people who don't know Christ, you're going you're gonna to deepen your prayer life, you're going to deepen your knowledge of the Word of God, and you're going to deepen your faith as you see God begin to give you, uh, work through you in ways that you never anticipated. Never anticipated. First um, Peter 4.10 and verses 11, let's see them up here. When we talk about service, based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belongs the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So even as we serve, even as we serve, Our faith is deepened. 
our faith is deepened, our knowledge of Scripture is deepened because first thing we've got to do, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Maybe I should find those passages that talk about spiritual gifts and study those. So we begin to deepen our knowledge of Scripture. We begin to deepen our faith that, you know what? I didn't think I could do this, but God provided the strength for me to serve. God provided strength for me to be able to do this. And we see the same thing as in our giving. As we continue to pray about what God would have us give, he continues to meet our needs. He continues to meet our needs. The, the church in Philippi was a very poor and impoverished church. They were facing heavy persecution. And Paul says that they gave out of their poverty, that they begged for the privilege of giving to the church in Jerusalem. Think about that. They begged for the privilege of giving to these other Christians who had need. And as they did, God continued to supply all of their needs. I can't tell you how many times Amanda and I have been faced with the decision whether or not to give. And, and those times when, when we've been obedient and we give anyways, and we're still wondering, like, all right, it's going to be close this month. Um, there was a time when we were first planting this church. Um, we don't know what happened. We don't know where it's coming from. Kind of a little sad that it stopped. But we were, we were trying to give everything we could. We, we got down to the point where, like, the only extra expense we had was Hulu, seven ninety nine a month. And we're like, we got to cut it. We just, we can give seven ninety nine additional to the church. So we were running a bare bones budget. We were trying to eat as cheaply as we could. And there were months when it's like, all right, if we had an extra doctor visit. We weren't counting on where's that money going to come from. And when we started going through this process, all of a sudden, $200 in cash started showing up in an envelope in our mailbox from different places throughout the United States. Like one time it was from Michigan, one time it was from Indiana. Like we just never knew where it was going to come from or, or who was sending it to us. Never had a return address. It just had the postmark from where it was from. And we'd get this money in the mail. And guess what? Most months we were like $200 short of what we needed. And for a couple months, and then it wouldn't come for a couple months, and we'd be fine. And then all of a sudden, we'd be like, okay, we're going to be short. And we would start joking, maybe an envelope's going to show up in the mail. And sure enough, an envelope would show up in the mail. And I don't know who it was, and we weren't telling people that, that we were struggling, but God was meeting our needs. We weren't eating, you know, Longhorn Steakhouse, but God was meeting our needs as we began to put our trust in him. Uh, and it was great. It grew our faith like nothing else. Number three blessing that we have is that it helps you grow in your love for God and for others. Helps you grow in your love for God and for others. First Thessalonians 2, I'm not going to read the passage, but Paul says, um, it was a joy for us to not only share the gospel, but our lives with you. We shared our lives with you. We shared everything we have. We, we came, we shared the gospel with you. We poured ourselves into you to make disciples. And we gave to you everything that we have everything that we have. And here's what we have to understand is that when we talk about discipleship, when we talk about this, there's really two relationships that we have to focus on. There's a vertical relationship, which is our personal holiness, becoming more like Jesus Christ. And then we have our horizontal relationship, 
which is our personal ministry, that we begin to serve, we begin to give, we begin to allow God to let us work in the lives of other people. And here's the thing, is that too often these get out of balance and we start serving and we start doing and we start giving and we find ourselves feeling empty and we wonder why we're empty and it's because this relationship hasn't been developed. Or we start gaining knowledge and we're studying scripture and we're reading everything and we're, we're gaining understanding and we think, oh man, this is awesome, I'm growing, but I feel like there's something missing. And the problem is that we're missing this relationship down here. And here's the thing. To be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, we must develop these two simultaneously. We develop them simultaneously. We grow in our love for God, and we grow in our love for people. And as we do that, as we do that together, God God shapes us and he molds us and conforms us into his likeness. Jesus asked Peter, after Peter's denied him three times, he says, do you love me? And he says, of course, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Serve my people. Feed my lambs. He asks him three times. Three times he asks him. Every single time, he says, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of my flock. Serve the people around you. If you love me, put it into practice. Grow in your love for me. Grow in your love for others. We see this again in our giving as well, that as we begin to give, it grows our love for God because we begin to see more and more and more how he's, he's meeting our needs. I, we don't know who to thank for that money that we got in the mail, but we dropped to our knees every single time and we gave glory to God and we thank God for his provision. And I can tell you the times that we've given to people and we've made sacrifices to help other people that our love for them has only deepened. Our love for them has only deepened. And lastly, we see that it provides an opportunity for resistance, which produces growth. And some of you are like, how is resistance, how is uh, trials and tribulations, how is that a blessing? In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says this. It says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. I like to think of it this way. When you go to the gym, you don't just pick up the bar by itself and and do the bar, right? You put some weight on there. Why? Because you need resistance. You want to look like Arnold? You want to get big? You want to be, ah, get to the chopper? right? You got to have some resistance. And as you get stronger, do you use the same weight? No, you add on five more pounds here, 10 more pounds here. Why? So the muscles are under stress. They're under tension so that they can grow bigger and you can get stronger. And the same is true for us spiritually. Man, there are going to be times when you're faced with the decision, I just don't know that I have time. I just don't know that I have time to serve. I just don't know that I have time to be discipled by someone else or to, to disciple this person. And you're going to have to make that decision of, of you know what, I, I can find this hour at six o'clock in the morning when I could be sleeping, then I'm going to get up and I'm going to meet with my friend because he needs to go deeper in the word of God. Or, or I'm going to get up on a Sunday morning, I'm going to set my clock, and I'm going to be there to help set up because my church needs me. And we make those sacrifices and that tension is there, that resistance is there. And out of that, we continue to grow. We continue to grow. And God will continue to work in and through us. 
Frederick Douglass said this. He says, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. If you're not struggling, then I doubt that you're progressing. God's desire is is so much more than for you to just sit in the church pew and be comfortable. God wants to leave his handprint on you as he works through you. And he wants to let you be used and leave your handprint on someone else. My question for us this morning as a church, as we talk about what it means to be a member, and let me say this, we fully acknowledge that not everyone is called to be a member of River Rock Bible Church. And it's okay if you say, you know what, this is too hard for me. Uh, I'm, I don't know that I can fulfill all of these. I like this church, but I'm not ready to be a member. That's okay. We want you to keep coming. We want you to keep coming. It's okay if you're here and you disagree with everything that I say. We do, we've done this every week. What do you have to believe to attend River Rock Bible Church? Nothing. Nothing. What do you have to do to attend River Rock Bible Church? Nothing. Nothing. How many community groups do you have to be in to attend River Rock Bible Church? None. How many discipleship groups do you have to be in to attend River Rock Bible Church? None. You don't have to do a single thing to attend here. We're talking about membership. We're talking about the group of people that says, hey, this is the place for me. This is where God is calling me. And together I want to join with these other people and accomplish this vision of reaching every man, woman, and child. With that being said, let me ask you, as a follower of Christ, as a part of River Rock Bible Church, what kind of print will you leave? Are you going to leave a handprint? Or are you just going to leave a butt print? That's the decision we face. This morning, you'll see in your bulletin, we have take two. Take two is just a chance for you to write down what God is saying to you. And we do this every single week. We go back to Luke chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And I believe that God is speaking to every single person this morning. Maybe there was a verse that spoke to you. And you say, you know what? God wants me to make some changes here. Write down what God is saying to you. And then right below that, it says, I will. What are you going to do about what God is saying to you? It's not enough for you to just know what God is saying. You've got to take steps and act on it. And so right now, I want us to just take a couple minutes and, and think about what is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? Let's take two.